Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Wow, what an episode. So, let's get right into it. We got a lot to talk about. I'm just going to dive right in. We start right out of the gate with Mando collecting a bounty, and I don't think that he's doing it for the money. I think he's doing it for the information. Obviously, information on where the armor is. So, Mando pulls up, does the whole I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold thing, which was epic to hear, and he takes them out with the freaking Darksaber. So, he still has it, he didn't give it up to Bo-Katan, I wonder how she left him or where she is, because obviously she wanted it and was ready to fight him for it by trial by combat. Now Mando fights the Clatoonians, but not very well. It's obvious that he doesn't know how to use the Darksaber, mainly due to its weight and unique properties. The Saber is an ancient weapon and not like a typical lightsaber, I think. It obviously holds different properties than regular lightsabers, which don't possess the same thing. Perhaps the crystal has dark matter like a viewer mentioned during the watch party. Perhaps it requires one to learn how to use it by becoming one with the blade. Either way, we know he has trouble using the blade, and I think this is setting it up for him to go get help from Luke Skywalker in the next episode on how to fight with a lightsaber, a scene that I think we all want to see. Din takes them out and he leaves with the head of his bounty. Now this scene was very dark, it was very gruesome, I was surprised it was allowed with Disney and all, but I was happy to see that there was some realism with a lightsaber once again, you know, it was like Revenge of the Sith. So the next scene is the city, or rather the, the planet, I guess we could call it. The ring is like the ring from the Old Republic near Telos, also it's kind of like Halo, or a lot like Halo I should say. Now something I want to mention about this city or planet, whatever it is, is that in the credits where there's the concept art, we can see this city and we can see what looks like the scimitar in the top right. Now the scimitar was Darth Maul's ship and of course Darth Maul at this point is dead, however Crimson Dawn I believe is very much alive, which means that Kira may be piloting the scimitar, which is one of my favorite ships in Star Wars. 
So Din delivers his bounty and is told the location of the armor where we see her in a meditative position. She's probably the most stoic Mandalorian that I've ever seen, so that's pretty cool that we get to see her again because I feel like she adds this sort of mysticism and epicness to the Mandalorians. She's like the mother of the Mandalorians almost. So I'd love to know her position on Mandalore or on Concordia when we get to know more about her character. Also, if you haven't seen my interview with the armorer, Emily Swallow, check it out on my channel. It was great to be able to talk to her. So he gets patched up by Paz Vizsla, and if you don't remember who this is, this is the big Mandalorian who helped him out in Season 1 on Navarro. He's a descendant of House Vizsla. Now Din shows the Darksaber to them, and the armorer asks to examine it. And we start to see that Paz is a little bit jealous, or maybe feels entitled, that this saber belongs to him. So the armor gives us a history lesson here on the Mandalorians, and it's beautiful. We get to learn more about Mandalorian culture and Mandalore in general, and we get to see it in live action. We learn the hilt is of a higher grade of Beskar, which makes me wonder if there are different grades of Beskar to begin with. Are, you know, some better than others, or how does that work? Maybe crafted better? She tells him that the ruler of this blade rules all of Mandalore, which we already know. But then she explains a character that is so important to the Mandalorian lore, and that of course is Tar Vizsla. He was a Mandalorian Jedi and the first to wield this blade a thousand years, over a thousand years ago. Now I've made a full video on Tar Vizsla, I implore you to go check it out. There's a lot of cool rich history, and I love that they mentioned him. She also mentions how if one comes to possess this blade without a proper trial by combat, then a curse will be set upon Mandalore and its people. And I feel like this is exactly what happened when Bo-Katan, unrightfully so, took the blade of Mandalore. And in turn, well, everything went wrong. The purge, Moff Gideon, and the destruction of the planet. The armor acknowledges that the Mandalorian has completed his quest of reuniting Grogu with his kind and the Jedi, and so she allows him to join their enclave. We learn Moff Gideon wasn't killed, but he was sent to the New Republic to face trial. His story isn't done yet, we'll probably see him again in Mandalorian Season 3 I'm guessing. The armorer tells of the Mandalorian who rides the Mythosaur, who will rise to lead the Mandalorians from the songs of Eon's past. Now in the Christmas special, Boba rode a Mythosaur, and this is also what he alluded to in Boba Fett Episode 3 when he tells the Rancor Keeper, Machete, that he's ridden much bigger. Boba also has a Mythosaur on his armor, so does this mean that Boba will rise to rule all Mandalorians like his father once did and Jaster Muriel before him? If you don't know about his father's lineage from when he was a boy and how he became a Mandalorian, and of course Jaster Muriel who was his mentor, like a father to him, please check out my video on Jango Fett's origins and how Jango Fett became a Mandalorian. The armorer isn't impressed with the Beskar spear. Mando tells her that he got it from Ahsoka and that he got it off of Moff Gideon. She says that it can pierce through Beskar armor and is more of a threat than a good weapon for Mandalorians. She says Beskar is intended for armor, not weaponry. So whoever made this obviously probably wasn't really a Mandalorian or they were just looking to hurt Mandalorians. So he tells her to smelt it into an armor for Grogu and I think that she makes Chain Link to protect his little body which will probably stay the same size for like the next 40 or so years. At which time, of course, Grogu can then smelt it down again and make something else with it. We learn about Bo-Katan, as the armorer explains that she was born of a mighty house that ended in tragedy. What is this tragedy? What is this curse? Well, let's explain it. So Bo was loyal to Pre Vizsla, who lost his position to Darth Maul, who ruled Mandalore for some time, until Darth Sidious showed up and defeated him, eliminating his brother Savage Press in a fearsome duel. 
This sent Maul into captivity, which is a story that was explained in Son of Dathomir comics with Dooku, Grievous, Sidious, Maul, and how he escapes captivity. With the help of Gar Saxon and the other Mandalorians, with the other rest of Death Watch, essentially. Bo-Katan was part of Death Watch, and this new era of Mandalorians don't like them, and vice versa. This is why in Season 2 of Mando, we see Bo-Katan removing her helmet and Mando keeping his on. Their creeds are quite a bit different, albeit both being Mandalorian. Bo-Katan didn't rightfully earn the Darksaber, she was gifted it by Sabine, and in the end, Moff Gideon took it from her, and we see her gifted it, and as she raises the Darksaber saying that she's going to now rule for her people, for a better Mandalore, we see this in Rebels. So most likely the curse was true. Since she ruled Mandalore falsely with the Darksaber as it was just given to her, Moff Gideon was able to take it from her and the purge happened. Maybe she's to blame, or maybe that's where the tale of the curse originates from. Or perhaps her own people turned against her because she didn't rightfully get the Darksaber. This is the tragedy the Armorer speaks of, because then the planet was destroyed. The only reason they survived was because they were on the moon of Concordia. Now Concordia is a moon of Mandalore. Pre Vizsla ran and led Death Watch from there. Obi-Wan Kenobi thought it was just an agricultural moon, and so did many others, but Satine tells him how Pre Vizsla set up camp there, basically. Now Paz Vizsla was born on Concordia as well, rightful heir to the Vizsla name. This is how they survived, by being cloistered on the moon, when of course Mandalore was destroyed. By the time the Empire came to be, they purged Mandalore in the Night of 1000 Tears. As we see TIE bombers destroying the planet, and what looks like exactly out of a scene of the Terminator 2 where K2SO droids and probe droids finish off surviving Mandalorians. The Empire clearly didn't want any threat, and they probably saw the Mandalorians as too powerful, so they destroyed them most likely at the behest of Moff Gideon per Palpatine's orders. Din tells the armorer to make Grogu something, and we see lots of chain links falling, put in a sack tied to look like Grogu's head with his ears. I think this is just a chain link shirt for Grogu. Din and the armorer train, and we see how heavy the Darksaber is. She tells him it's because he's fighting against the blade. Now he obviously needs tons of training, and like I said, Luke's gonna fill in this role. I think that he's gonna give him all the training that he needs. Now where are they training? I don't know, Forest Moon of Endor, Dagobah, somewhere else perhaps, maybe he's training with Leia as well. Maybe he's got another band of Jedi. I don't really know, but I'm excited to find out. Paz Vizsla challenges Din to trial by combat. He feels the Darksaber belongs to him, as it was originally made by his ancestor. He takes out his Vibroblade, which we saw Mando use against the Mudhorn in Season 1, as well as a cool force shield on his gauntlet. Mando ignites his Darksaber and they fight. Din has a hard time wielding it as it's so heavy, and we see the same thing happen when Paz gets a hold of it too. It's almost like Mjolnir, you know, Thor's hammer. You have to be worthy, or at least, in this case, worthy to know how to wield such a blade. I don't think it has anything to do with the Force, as many non-Force users have wielded the blade, much like Moff Gideon, Pre Vizsla, Bo-Katan, and so on. Mando finally beats Paz and keeps his saber, but admits to the armor that he's removed his helmet in front of others, which to their creed is a big no-no, and now he's no longer a Mandalorian. She says, The only way to redeem yourself is to travel to the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore, which now have all been destroyed. So I think in the Mandalorian Season 3, the Mando... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. 
We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. We'll have to search for these mines, and I think it's going to be a pretty amazing journey to see how Mandalore is now in this state. Are there people there? Are there Mandalorians there? What's going on? Are they all below the earth? Are any of these springs left below the mines? What will he find there? Who knows, but I'm excited to find out with all of you. So Mando leaves and accepts his new fate. He takes a communal shuttle to Tatooine and stows his weapons as the droid instructs. Now this droid is the same droid from Star Tours in Disneyland, a little fun Easter egg. Mando arrives on Tatooine and he visits Pelimoto. Now you remember her from season one, also known as Ripley. We see the pit droids from episode 1, R5 from episode 4 with the bad motivator, and in a legend story, R5 was actually force-sensitive and was able to combust his bad motivator when Luke chose him because he knew that R2 carried the message of Leia, which would in turn bring him to Obi-Wan and so on and so forth and kind of save the galaxy. But of course, that's just a legend story, but I thought I'd add it in there. I have a video done on it as well if you wanted to check it out. And we see a BD droid. Now, BD droids are famous for who? BD-1, who was Cal Kestis's droid in Jedi Fallen Order. Does this mean we'll see Cal? Maybe. I think it makes it a lot more plausible now that we could see him and maybe not as big of a surprise. I think he's helping Luke in the quest for finding Force Sensitives in the galaxy. I'll bite Cal would be in his 40s now or, you know, late 30s or something like that. And I know a lot of you are asking, is this BD-1 from Fallen Order? I doubt it. I think it's just another BD droid. I feel like BD-1 would stay with Cal Kestis, but hey, if it is, then that's awesome. So Mando saves her, and we find out that he's here because Pelimoto pinged him about a new ship. Now, the new ship is none other than a beautiful Naboo starfighter. This, of course, was seen in The Phantom Menace. It was the same ship used in the time of the Galactic Republic. This was also the same ship model that Anakin blew up the Trade Federation with and did some spins. She mentions modding the ship and it'll be faster than a Fathier. Now, Fathiers were like Star Wars versions of horses, and we see them in the sequels. Jawas bring over all the parts they need. They soup up the starfighter. Peli, also known as Ripley, tells Mando that she dated a Jawa once and that they're furry. Since we don't get much on what Jawas really look like under the hood, it's cool to know that they're most likely rodent-like or, you know, something. At least, you know, we know they're furry. They fix the ship up, Gonk Droid powers the ship, BD helps Mando like BD-1 helped us all in fallen order with the hologram of where things go, scanning objects and fitting them onto the right parts. Now get this, the cryogenic density combustion booster is the same piece that Han put in the trash compactor in episode 4, A New Hope, on the Death Star. I love how they added this in there. Super fun. We also learn that the citizens and even law enforcement are too afraid of the pikes ever since they've been moving spice through the system. So we know the pikes clearly gotta go and maybe Mando gets a heads up here on what Boba wants help with, which we see at the end when Fennec shows up. He takes the starfighter out for a spin and it is a wild ride, man. I had my speakers blasted up when I watched this again for the breakdown downstairs and it was, it was pretty cool. Hearing that beautiful engine boom was amazing. He takes it through Mos Espa, and we even go through the exact same course that Anakin Skywalker raced his pod racer in, in the Boonta Eve pod race, heading out into Baker's Canyon, where we even see a Womp Rat sleeping. Now, Womp Rats were what Luke used to shoot on Tatooine for fun in his T-16 Skyhopper. 
Mando opens the ship up and pushes into space where we see the Rodian that we saw on the communal shuttle to Tatooine again. And he's now stopped by the two New Republic X-Wing officers. Now, one of which is the actor who played Luke Skywalker in the Mandalorian season two finale without the deep fake, of course, which makes me kind of sure that we're going to see Luke again for the show for episode six. And the second X-Wing pilot is Carson Teva. This is who gave Cara Dune her pendant and essentially made her, you know, sheriff. We saw Carson Teva in The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 2 on the Ice Planet with Dave Filoni and with Grogu and the Frog Lady. Mando is asked a few questions by Carson. It gets a little too hot and Din uses his sublight thrusters to get the heck out of there. Now, this is a feature that the N1 starfighters had. They don't need to power up to hyperspace or any to use their thrusters or anything. They just blast out of there. Mando lands back down and Peli asks him how it was. He says, wizard. Now this is what Kitster tells Anakin in episode one before Anakin races in the Boonta Eve pod race. Kitster was Anakin's best friend growing up. And he says, this is so wizard, Annie. So that was, for me, that was a really cool callback because I love how they added that in there. Fennec Shand is there to greet him and she offers him a job from Boba and she tosses him credits and he tosses them back saying, it's on the house if it's for Boba. But first, he has to pay a visit to Grogu. What a absolute beautiful episode, man. I loved it. I think now Mando will go and find Luke, maybe on Dagobah or on the forest moon of Endor or something, and we could see Grogu being trained by Luke Skywalker. Perhaps Cal Kestis is there or he shows up later. Maybe Han Solo is with him. Maybe Luke is training Leia like we saw in episode nine. The possibilities are really endless. I think he could even come back with Mando or maybe meet up with Mando later once the pikes are gone, but then revealing a bigger threat, Crimson Dawn with Kira. And I think Kira is probably the most dangerous villain of this season, of this show, because she was trained by Darth Maul. She's, she's essentially Darth Maul's apprentice, and she knows everything about Taraskasi, which is the ability to fight with your bare hands and essentially move as fast as a blaster, dodge a blaster, and you punch as hard as a blaster would hit you. She also fought Darth Vader and she was holding her own just fine until, of course, he used the force and, you know, stopped toying with her. Now, I think this sets up Mando season three, which will then show us more of Luke Skywalker and what he's doing, how he's training Grogu, and maybe even we'll see Grogu get his own lightsaber in this season. I wonder if it's going to be yellow or orange or green or blue or, or what color could it be? But one thing I'm definitely certain of, or at least pretty certain of, is that Grogu, Din, and Luke are all going to be communicating again, and we're going to see them in the next episode. And that Luke is going to be helping Din with his lightsaber training. I think this will be a beautiful scene for all of us. I hope we get to see it. And I also hope that eventually we'll get to see Ahsoka and Luke talk about Anakin Skywalker, and of course for them to meet. Lots of theories going into episode 6 of The Book of Boba Fett. I hope we get to see Boba. Of course, uh, we will in episode 6. But I am totally fine with them just showing Mando in this episode 5. Let me know what you thought of the episode. It was a very, very heavy episode. Tons of lore, tons of explanations, tons of tiny little Easter eggs that I probably didn't even catch all of them. So if you caught some, let me know in the comments. I will see you in the next videos. I got tons ready to go here for the book of Boba Fett, as well as some theories coming at you. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you so much for watching. Leave a like on the video if you enjoyed it, and I'll see you in the next vid. Until then, remember, the Force will be with you always.